okay. Coming to you live from across the United States, the most dangerous people in the United States of America. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the Trans Narrative Podcast. Oh my God, Athena, it's so good to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing quite all right, keeping a stiff upper lip. Yes, and today we're joined by our first guest co first guest co-host of season two, Mar Newell. Oh my God, how are you? Hey, y'all. How you doing? So good. It's so good to have you here today. And joining us is Tiffany Taylor. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. Doing great. Happy to be here. Yes. Hey everyone, it's Caroline. Before we get started, I want to take this opportunity to say that if you like content like this, be sure to tap that subscribe button and the notification tab to get updated on our newest episodes. It's really important that if you like queer inclusive content, that you subscribe, share, like with all of your friends, because the only way that we're going to shift the trans narrative into a positive direction and be able to get to a point where we can get to an equitable society is if we get messages out to the community like this with others. So please tap the subscribe button, share with your friends, send the link out, and most importantly, enjoy the show. Thank you. Um, I'm, well, the Memphis community has been so kind to, to the Trans Narrative Podcast, and I'm so grateful to have you here with us today. And before we introduce our guest today, Tiffany Taylor, I'd like to get a little background who you are so would you mind just letting us in a bit a little bit about um who you are and your background and what you're what you're bringing to the table today sure um well i my pronouns are they them also he him it just depends on the day some days you just don't you feel a little bit more masculine than you do like just your experience um i was born in michigan but my family said it is too cold up here so they came down to arkansas so I was raised in the hills of Arkansas, uh, where, really where the hillbillies are, I promise you. Um, <laughs> I, I left there as soon as I graduated high school. Um, I needed to get out and see the world because I was that kid that was like, oh, there is so much more to this world than, than my little corner of it. So I went out and joined the military. Once I got done with that, I, I was very much in the closet at this time, too, because the military, when I served, because it was before 9-11, it was don't ask, don't tell. And I kept my butt in the closet. And plus, growing up where I did, it was very strict. My family, I think they always knew it, but they would sort of kind of shun it so bad. And I grew up in the 80s with the AIDS epidemic and everything. So being gay was a horrible, horrible thing you know, in my mind at that time. But then, you know, once I got out of the military, I just started growing in in myself. I was, um, as I call it, doing my Oscar performance of uh, being very straight, being married, having kids, doing the whole thing. I was even a Girl Scout leader. I mean, I I nailed that. I nailed it the way I look at it. But then I, I just said, I'm sick and tired of being somebody I'm not. I'm, I don't want to perform anymore. So I came out and my journey has just led me up until where I'm at now. And I actually, this month is my one year T anniversary. So this has been one year since I've been on T and yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So this is like the end present of that anniversary for me um, is coming on this podcast and just putting my voice out there because our 
I really feel the trans community and really everyone in the LGBTQ community, okay, minus maybe a few TERFs and whatnot, <laughs> we um we are very I think we are some of we are some of the strongest people in this world because of everything that is thrown at us. And we still are brave enough, we still are kind enough, and we still put our voice and our words out there to say, I am here, I am queer. I'm not going anywhere. So y'all just better get over it. You know, we, we are that. Mm -hmm. So thank you all for having me on here. I really appreciate it. What we want to be is just a a platform for people to be able to share their experiences because we're all human. We all have uh, things to share. And the more we're able to hear each other and give each other voices and platforms, we can spread this empathy. We can spread, you know, love and understanding rather than hatred and ignorance. That's what we're here for. Yeah, somebody said um, – I, I go to a support group meeting on uh, Thursdays at our local um, – <clears throat> pardon me – at our local LGBTQ plus organization, and somebody said, you know, we can just make drag into a religion. Then they can't come after Wait, isn't Let's it already – don't we have men in dresses leading lots of different services around the world in Catholic, Methodist, uh, and Anglican churches – well, robes, I mean, but you know they're non bifurcated garments. It's not quite. You never know what's under those robes. Is all 100%. I'm saying. Yeah. And so we do. And I just started laughing about it. And was like, actually, that is an awesome idea. We get to do, you know, be like the churches. We can be tax free and everything. Let's go. Let's yeah, tax-free go. Tax free drag. Let's in. do tax free drag. I'm, well, I mean, we already have our first reverend, the good moth, moth, moth. Uh, that's the good reverend moth now. Um, and this is probably it, once they listen to it, it might be the first time they've heard that. So you're welcome, Moth. Um, <laughs> You've been promoted to the head of a religion and put that on your resume and your your curriculum vitae. The good mothership. We are doing the work of building resumes here. <laughs> yes, yes, we are we are doing the good work. <laughs> but hey, I'm in higher ed too, so. I can build those resumes and sound everything really well. <laughs> Higher ed? What, um, yeah. what exactly do you do? I work um, at a local university here in town. I'm not going to name it just just because, you know, Tennessee being Tennessee. And I'll put this in there for my disclaimer so I'm not taking a court or anything. These are all my views and not where I work's views. <laughs> Absolutely. It's out there. Yeah. Cover my booty. Um, <laughs> Even if the name slips somehow, we're not involved with that. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, no way, shape, or form. You know, does their my opinion count for theirs? But I've I've worked in higher education for over twelve years. It was a oh, I'm going to do this job because I get a discount. And I started as a janitor working five p.m. to two a.m. And I just sort of kind of happened into it, and it was all great. And I was like, oh, hey, this is sort of fun to do. And I'm a very sarcastic person. So mm-hmm. my sarcasm and my – actually, honest, honestly, my smartassness works <laughs> really well in higher education compared to what I was trying to be of a high school teacher. I'm like, no, I cannot do this to, the, to these children. I might kill them. I can't do it. <laughs> cannot do it. And, and so here I am now an admissions counselor for a graduate school. Um, I talk to people all over the world, and they come in. And the lifelong learning is is what we all should strive to do. And I'm, this podcast is a perfect example of that. We're all trying to learn something more about someone else and their experiences. So this fits in well professionally for me and personally. Absolutely. Yeah, same here. <laughs>
Um, yeah. Building those uh, stronger connections and communities, uh, communicating with each other effectively. Uh, I want to be like kind of an operator. If somebody comes to me and says, uh, I want to know what resources I can find to do this or be a part of this community, I want to say, well, I know this person. They worked in Memphis on this, mm -hmm. right? So I can refer them to you. Uh, I think that's probably one of the, the best things I can do is just sort of have a directory of all the people that I can work with uh, and network people more effectively together. Yeah, you would fit in higher ed really well because that's what we do. <laughs> we, you, you know somebody somewhere everywhere, so it's great. <laughs> gotcha. So we're getting Tiffany joined on here. Yay. Hello, can you hear me? There you are, Tiffany. Hi. 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 Yay. me, I'm here. Tiffany Taylor, oh, good to goodness. meet you. You too, thank you. <laughs> Tiffany, it is wonderful to meet you. I'm Mar Newell. Um, I'm... I've looked at a lot of your Facebook posts and stuff, and you you helped you helped educate me on an area that I didn't understand so well, and actually been trying to work on like my ableism. I know mm -hmm. I know we all have our bad habits, and I know I have mine. So thank I, I'm just going to put it out there first. Thank you for helping for helping me oh, understand well, a little bit more about myself. <laughs> well, thank you, and I appreciate that. And saying that you know that that it helps me means a lot. So yeah, I'm glad to help. Well, hi, Tiffany. No. I'm Caroline. It's so nice hi. to finally meet you. I'm so glad to have you here in the trees there. Yes, it's such a pleasure. So um, so I'm Caroline. This is Athena, and this is Mar Newell. Mar is our first guest co-host of season two, so we're really excited to have them here. And so I'm just, I'm really excited for this opportunity to share in, uh, in this connection with you and, and everyone here. So glad to have you, Tiffany. Thanks. So, Tiffany, I heard that you live on a sailboat and travel around the world. I think that's the coolest thing. Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, we, my partner and I live on a sailboat. Um, it's a uh, cruising boat. Um, so, meaning we're planning on cruising it, you know, more around the world. Um, it's already been around the world before we bought it. And so, we've spent the last three years, um, especially, you know, during the pandemic, um, kind of refitting it and redoing most of the systems. We do all the work ourselves. So we just finished um, hooking up the solar and we've worked on so many different projects and systems on it. But um, we're based right now in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then our plan is, um, you know, next year really starting to go down the coast of California for a while and then, you know, winter in Mexico and then on from there. So we live on the boat full time and, you know, plan to kind of follow warmer weather, hopefully, especially in, right now where it's quite cold like in the 40s in california is not what we're used to <laughs> so uh yeah that's been a been an adventure and a lot to learn but you know fun experience as well sounds absolutely beautiful do your own cruise so there's a lot yes. of work involved it sounds like yes um especially if you do the work yourselves because we also want to really know our boat because if you're in the middle of the ocean or you know we really want to go to like remote anchorages and you know places where a lot of the tourists don't go and we want to meet the locals you know that type of thing you know um and you have to really know inside and out because there isn't just a place to get parts you can't get you know parts sent to you you know right away or you know someone's not going to fix your you know fix your boat you're in the middle of the ocean and anything happens so you also really kind of have to be your own maintenance crew and have all the tools it's amazing the amount of tools we have on this boat mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah and Absolutely. so so yeah that's uh a lot to learn like how to do the projects things don't have manuals or the parts are discontinued and you have to now figure out some solution and you have all these constraints because 
the boat's, you know, going to be in salt water or sunlight or, you know, moving around all these various things. And then, you know, part shipping delays and, you know, manufacturers not understanding products or not being honest about products or et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's been a whole process. <laughs> a lot of negotiation. It sounds like probably a lot of bespoke parts, uh, but you fit in right here yes. with us. Speaking of bespoke parts, uh, this is the Trans Narrative Podcast. And we want to welcome you uh, just kind of tell you about like our format and our story and then kind of give you a chance to introduce yourself by your own rules. Uh, we basically are here to focus on letting you tell your story uh, and basically relating however you want to uh, your experience in how you've uh, struggled and overcome things in forming uh, bonds to find your community and help to make our community stronger in general. Um, so Tiffany Taylor, it is beautiful to meet you today. I uh, just want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and what we'll be talking about today to make sure that uh, we've got a good understanding of what will be, uh, what our scope of the project is today. So what what can you tell us about us? <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, I'm Tiffany and I um, am in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, as mentioned, I live on a sailboat with my partner. Um, and I work uh, primarily in uh, performing arts and I'm a, a dancer and also an accessibility consultant. Um, I'm a, a queer person, um, you know, in part of the LGBT community and um, having, you know, those intersectional identities, I think informs a lot of my work in uh, performing and I do a lot of um, you know, performance work and accessibility work around accessibility in um, disabled spaces, in queer spaces, um, you know, how those uh, identities intersect and about, you know, access um, for the disabled community, for the blind and low vision community, as I'm uh, low vision myself, and making sure that, you know, blind people have access to all different types of spaces and talking a lot about ableism and also, um, you know, the access to um, especially sexuality, uh, orientation, you know, all those type of things that we are often very much left out of um, in the conversation, especially for uh, folks that are blind, you know, not having access to, to media or, um, you know, visual representations or conversations around any of those things. Um, and so I um, do a lot of work in, in, the, in those spaces, as well as, as I mentioned, in, you know, performance spaces, too, around art and and ableism in uh, theater and um, you know live performance venues. And I also have a um, background in theater and performance um, through school. And I've learned you know what how those programs are structured. And um, you know being a performer, working on stage, backstage, you know being a, an audience member who enjoys performance um, as a person with a disability. So those are kind of a lot of the, the areas that I um, you know work on and focus on a lot uh, when I'm not working on the sailboat, <laughs> which has mm -hmm. its own challenges to adapt being a yeah. disabled person living on a sailboat and a queer person and a person in a same-sex relationship um, as well and how that, you know, all kind of folds together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of did mention like a, a lot of uh, areas in which we can try and, and learn and grow and uh, kind of be inclusive. Obviously, this is an audio format here through the podcast. We also do have other visual mediums, but I caught myself after I was introduced just waving to you, but I thought, okay, I've got to reassess uh, what, <laughs> what my resources are, what your resources are, and how we can meet together better. Sure. I felt this moment of, of a bit of shame here, just thinking, I can't communicate like that. It's not it's not uh, where, where we're at. Uh, so I just want to uh, maybe, you know, help us to communicate best through this. Uh, how can we best be aware of uh, your impairments or your uh, disability and make sure that you're included in every way we possibly can? 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think for this, um, <laughs> thank you for mentioning that, you know, that, that happened as well and calling attention, bringing it up and saying, this is something that I did. And then I <laughs> realized, you know, what that, what that means. I think that's definitely a first step because it's so often easy to just overlook that or, oh, I just waved to the blind person. I'm not going to mention that. And that happens a lot in public too, all the time where people will tell me, oh, the, the person just waved at you. And then they realize they just waved at the person that might may probably won't be able to see them. <laughs> um, some people um, can also, some people with low vision can also see, uh, you know, the screen even on Zoom. So some people might be able to see that. For me, um, I am not able to. Um, so usually it just works best for me if um, there are many different, if there are like different people speaking to say who's speaking, maybe if that's, um, you know, just to inform that um, some blind people like visual descriptions, if there is something on the screen or how people identify in the space to make that um, accessible for me. Um, that's uh, a practice I'm okay with, but not something that I necessarily require or would really ask. So all I really need is, um, yeah, is just people being aware of, um, you know, what's in the space, but I don't need any accommodations yeah. really much for Zoom virtual space um, oh, for myself. Absolutely. Well, one thing I have noticed a lot, and especially in spaces that are, you know, um, well, more leftist or friendly spaces, generally speaking, there's been a lot of the transcription of images and memes and things like that on Facebook groups. I think that's mm-hmm. been great to see and kind of understand, like, from the perspective, like, uh, like I've got friends even who are starting to undergo like macular degeneracy and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start to have to be like aware of the things that I'm posting, even in my own private groups as opposed right. to like public forums and things. So I think we can all be a little bit more aware in accessibility features like that. Uh, how does that uh, affect your your spaces socially? I know uh, like using cell phones is a bit different. I, I work with cell phones myself, but a lot of visually impaired people will still have like the uh, readers and the other uh, assistance tools. So I think that's really cool how technology is helping us overcome some of these gaps. Absolutely. I think especially right now, um, the pandemic has really highlighted that. And I think some of your previous guests have touched on this as well about doing hybrid meetings, virtual meetings, you know, mm-hmm. learning Zoom, it can make a lot of spaces more accessible. But then there is also that learning curve. So there are lots of guides um, that have been written as well about how to um, use Zoom with a screen reader. So for example, I'm doing this call on my phone right now on Zoom and I use um, VoiceOver on the iPhone. So that's a speech program that's built into the Apple products that's included and it reads everything on the screen. Um, But it also depends on how the apps are developed. So just because an app is on the phone doesn't mean it's going to be readable or accessible. And so it also really has to be on developers and people making any content. So memes, GIFs, you know, web um, websites, social media um, pictures, uh, the big thing would be is, you um, you know, making sure, do you know if they're accessible um, or, you know, ha- having a consultant, you know, test that. And that's something else that I do. And I come in and say, this works, this doesn't work. Uh, and then for, uh, yeah, media, especially really using image descriptions or descriptions of videos, um, as well as even transcripts, if possible. Um, and these things take time and effort and sometimes, you know, money and, and a lot of resources, um, but especially, um, you know, transcripts for podcasts for uh Deaf folks, um, people in the deaf community, hard of hearing, um, people who are deafblind, transcripts can be really helpful because then, um, you know, you can have the description of all of the audible, the text or the yeah. spoken language, but also any of the other, you know, audible things that might be going on. And that can be read in uh, Braille for people maybe who are deafblind. Um, so just, you know, that making that available. Um, that's, I think, the biggest thing is, you know, how does that work? And yeah. in person, um, you know, there are also a lot of different tips, you know, I could give, I think really the big thing is 
I have to just say is, you know, treating people with disabilities as, you know, a part of society, um, as you would anybody else, um, because so often I think people get nervous, um, you know, about how to say things. I know you mentioned, oh, I waved to you earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would say, you know, that happens a lot. So I, I like, you know, I notice those things, laugh about those things, you know, you learn um, also saying, you know, language, like using the word see or watch. Yeah, um, I use yeah. those, those words all the time, even though I'm not actually watching a video, <laughs> I still say, oh, I watched a movie, but I've had people come up to me, even, you know, having conversation about movies. And then a month later came up to me, my partner. And one person said, I felt so awkward last time and we didn't even know what she was talking about. And she said, well, we were talking about movies and I said, I watched a movie. So she was fixated on this for, mm -hmm. you know, a month. Yeah. She said this word um, instead of asking, you know, or I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. And so I'd much rather have people ask me, you know, is it okay to use this word? And I can just say right off the bat. Yes. For me, you know, that's part of language. So you don't have to feel um, nervous about avoiding certain words. Mm -hmm. I I even noticed so when I was scrolling through some of your Earth? Facebook. I mean, if there's something that for some reason doesn't, oh, oh. we cut out there a little bit, Tiffany. I'm here. Uh, uh oh, okay. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. There was about like no. a 10 second gap where it cut out there. If you could rewind about oh, okay. 15 <laughs> seconds or so. Oh, just saying what? Don't being afraid of using certain terms, and if something doesn't work, I can, you know, fill it in or mm -hmm. explain why. When I um when I went to I was I, as I as I got to know you a little more on the Facebook I noticed that when you had photos on uh on your post that there was descriptions below and so when I went to go uh start the promotionals for this week's episode I thought well Tiffany's not able to see this and I thought well what can I do and I thought back to that and I thought description describing what it is that is in the photo and then I thought well, why can't I do that going forward in every episode? Because it's not, I mean, I, it's not something that I thought about. And that's, and that's, and I'm, I'm grateful that I have beginning to get that awareness, but that's, um, that's something that I learned this week that using the scriptures well, in media, yeah, <laughs> it's, well, I, I just, it was, and it's interesting because then it requires me to, to think about, you know, how I'm presenting and how I'm talking and how I'm portraying media, because if I'm only, uh, presenting media in a certain way and it's not accessible to everyone well that's not that's not something that i i, I want to try to ensure that, that that this show is is accessible to everyone and that means that i have to take the time to do things beyond what i normally day-to-day -day would do because it's not something that i see so it's something that i'm learning and i'm grateful that i um well thank you I'm, i appreciate really appreciate those those descriptions because i noticed too yes when you sent me those those photos that automatically had uh, descriptions. And I really appreciate that because it made, meant a lot to me that I didn't have to ask. And I think that goes a long way in this, um, places where there's often so much ableism or so many people around us are typically not disabled or non-disabled. And then you, um, you know, have to always bring up, be the person to advocate for yourself or bring up, can I ask for accommodations? But you don't know if it's necessarily a safe space. So if someone automatically offers that or says, what do you need? You know, it means a lot. Yeah, Caroline or Tiffany, I apologize. I was looking at Caroline. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I before before we started this, and Caroline told me, okay, we're gonna here's the person we're gonna talk to, Miss Tiffany. And I went and looked at your Facebook stuff, and you know, you are you already know. I already told you, you know, thank you for that. But I was like, how how can I best like make Tiffany feel 
part of what we're doing, you know, just because, you know, vision impaired just doesn't see the way that you want, you don't see the world the way I see the world. And so I was Googling how best to interact, <laughs> how, you know, how to do this. And the one thing that all, every website that I looked at, which I, I don't look at just one. I can't help it. I'm, I'm in mm -hmm. higher ed. So my background is how many sources can I get? Yes. Um, <laughs> but it was always ask, ask, yes. ask, ask. Yes. And that's, and then it just took me back to, um, I, my oldest child who is about to graduate from college. So I feel really old at that point. Um, <laughs> they, they were in Girl Scouts and one of the people we had there was actually vision impaired too. And when I was trying to do uh, different kind of activities and stuff, I always had to think about how can this best come across to them too. And mm -hmm. I never thought about it. So mm -hmm. I, for, for those people, and I mean, you've already touched on it. So, but the rest of us, how for our media, rather than just, you know, not only adding those descriptions and stuff, what are other ways that we can best serve like, a, a population of people who you know don't like I said don't see the world the way we see it. you guys have such a totally different I think all your senses are different than what like our senses are yeah I think so, it's just like as I mentioned the main thing with media would be is you know descriptions and access to you know the visual uh visual elements you know audible elements all you know just making sure that that um that that is included and even audio descriptions if you're just making a video and they have the resources to have it actually described instead of just uh, only typing out the we're having a little bit more audio difficulty here tiffany oh are you there tiffany can you hear me you mentioned i again appreciate that you've done the sole person that people go to you know there's some there um let's see so there's like an assumed uh sweet that comes along with being disabled or people think you're going to offer more education for free. So I appreciate that people do their research, you know, as well. I'm not their only resource. Well, something else that I that I noticed was that um, I read a few of your posts and, and, and I noticed that a lot of people come under the impression that your friends and your family kind of take on the responsibility and they kind of neglect to consider that, that you're still able to to do many things and it and, and you touched on how people have often overlooked you because they they don't think that you're able to to do the things that able people are uh to are able to do and it's sad that that they you know they don't ask you they ask your partner this is one of the things i read and i i i hope that 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 is something that we can begin to break that stigma on on people with uh limited access to things Yes, I think often it's um, it's so interesting, you know, being around in public and with my partner. Some people think that, you know, she's automatically my aide or she's, you know, a relative or something because I'm also disabled. And there's this like myth that disabled people don't want or need, you know, relationships. Um, so you don't get you know seen in that way. And then, um, you know, being in a same relationship and then just being disabled, people think she's automatically there to help me by herself and that they don't have to offer help. And also that I can't offer help to people because I have a disability and the bar and the standards are so low for what blind people can do. And it's not the same as if someone just closed their eyes and couldn't see one day. For me, I was born blind. And so I've learned a lot of tools and I'm used to it. 
So it's not this big scary thing as it is for someone who, you know, just loses their vision and doesn't have any, you know, coping strategies or adaptive tools yet or community. And community can be, you know, an empowering thing. And I'm used to being blind. So we can move on from that. And, you know, like I can help with other things and, and don't have to focus on that. Well, you talked My, about, um, sorry, Caroline, I just jumped on you. I'm, no, I no. Just, I'm really actually interested. Um, you said you studied dance. Is that correct? Um, so I studied theater. Um, I have a bachelor's oh. in theater, but I do dance. So, yeah, I'm, I professionally uh, dance with like an integrated company. So we have dancers with and without disabilities and we actually work. Um, we're actually creating new work currently. So I'm like one of the collaborators that works with, you know, in the company as a performer. What type of dance do y'all do? Because, I mean, here in Memphis, we, you know, we got juking going on. So I, <laughs> yes. I want, I'm, I'm like, I want to know what type, because that's, that's really <laughs> interesting to me. I have, yeah. I don't have the rhythm for it, but I'd love to hear everybody <laughs> else who does. <laughs> so for me, I do in a certain way, I do an easier way out. It's kind of, um, it's more based a lot in like a movement and like, and language and description. Like, what am I feeling? What am I sensing? Um, how am I describing movement actually? Um, how does it, you know, feel? Um, it would be based on, you know, sound or rhythm, but it's not, I'm not doing a set, um, a set maybe style or a certain way of, oh, it's all choreographed. A lot of it is more, um, you know, give you the freedom to here, here's a prompt and then make movement based on that prompt. And then how do you make that accessible to people um, with different, you know, sensory modalities? So I'm not doing a set maybe, you know, style in the way of like, oh, it's not just ballet or, um, you know, what one specific maybe common type. Like, I know a lot of technologies have been developed specifically to, like, assist and help us, like, overcome our various difficulties and impairments. Obviously, phones and technology, uh, being able to have a reader anywhere is incredibly uh, useful. Uh, like, other technologies, like for surgical remedies and things like that, uh, they, they all still won't necessarily, like, leave us, though, with an equal footing. We're always going to have a difference, uh, uh, you know, to help make up for um like moving the future uh do you think that like the like you know making uh disabilities uh vanish through through surgeries like uh, having like national health care mm -hmm. is generally uh going to happen <laughs> i mean that's that's a question i suppose another but like do you think that would be a, a good push to help people with disability uh there's been a lot of conversation about like blindness uh in cuba they work to cure blindness uh, and make that mm -hmm. effective because people were more productive in their lives without blindness what do you think about programs like that designed specifically uh, to help people with visual impairments, but also kind of as a focus to make them more productive workers, specifically? I think that's a pretty ableist um, perspective, actually, because it's really showing that um, that life has to be better because bl yeah. because um, um, like 2020 vision is normal again, you know, intentionally with that word. So blindness is lesser that's it's it is something that needs to be fixed it's a, this, the medical view of it must be fixed therefore it's a problem when it doesn't have to be um it does make like for me it makes things tricky but a lot of my barriers are because of society because people think uh, and people put up barriers and they think it's a problem they want to fix me but you know my vision doesn't mean i have a bad quality of life and if people were less ableist and if people worked on technologies to help me or people didn't have so many barriers up for employment and if employers were educated and parents and teachers and the first message wasn't doom and gloom um you know i think that could be a lot healthier 
And, but my vision itself doesn't cause me really any medical problems. I don't have pain. I don't have like, it, it doesn't really get in my way. So for me, like, I don't really need it fixed just to have the quote unquote normal vision. And because it's also, you know, I can have a full life with, with being blind and to say, to connect it to productivity and capitalism and work and saying people are less productive. There are so many barriers to like learning technology to just educating employers I'm like, what can I do when they're freaking out about, oh my God, a blind person is going to sue me. I can't hire them. They can't be productive. Hmm. Um, whereas if, if everyone was given the tools to succeed and if I, I was given the tools to be successful at a job and the other employees and the people in, in power in those jobs recognize that I can contribute and they worked to actually alleviate barriers instead of ignoring the fact that they are putting up the barriers to be succeeding, then I could be productive. So the barriers to productivity are sometimes because of a disability, which is okay. And it's valid and important and healthy to say, I can't do something. And that's okay. It's not a weakness. Yeah. But also we need everybody else to take accountability and say, oh, we're putting up the barriers against you. But instead, they're often blaming us for being less productive when they're the ones that are putting up the barriers that make us less productive. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, she was preaching. She was preaching, y'all. <laughs> um, About that oh, one. No. Yeah, no, that... That was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> there were some good ones in there, Caroline. That, that'll that be an easy edit on that one. It'll be like, ooh, yeah, we're using this. Each week on the Trans Narrative Podcast, we want to highlight a piece of the bigger stories that impact our lives, the laws and attitudes and cultures that can help or hinder us as transgender people in the United States. stories that cisgender people want to tell for us or about us are going to be missing in critical details. They won't help us to clear up our perspective. We want to show how we've struggled, how we are struggling, and also how we will overcome. Okay, all through this country, oh, this week on Capturing the Narrative, Caroline Penny. Oh my god, that's me! Hi! Okay, for realsies though, all through this country, we're seeing an all-out assault on the LGBTQI plus community. And as culture wars continue, I personally feel an obligation to do what I can to shift the trans narrative into a more positive light, highlighting the beauty and diversity of our community. All my life, I sought to belong, to feel like I mattered, that I meant something to someone. When I found belonging within, when I realized that I matter. And that I mean something to someone, me, found myself a part of something bigger than myself. I found a community that struggled like I had. I felt true belonging when I found people like me. I share many weekends with some of those many people who have shown me I matter. And that my work, whatever it is, isn't insignificant. Like most, we started out with different intentions on the direction of what we're starting and are thrown into act into an activism role or become a representative no matter how hard you try not to it's important to me to remember that i'm not speaking on behalf of the community or think that i'm in a place of authority i am of the community who has struggled and understands that struggle and has had to overcome that and i share my journey by chronicling the events of our world weekly and meet with the members of this loving community who have made me feel more like myself day by day. 
We are more than advocates for equity, diversity, and inclusion. And while those are major parts of who we are, we're so much more. And I hope in time we'll get to share all those parts of who we are. But right now, we're called to act and do what we can. And tonight I wanted to speak on a word that describes what many marginalized communities went through and what the trans and non-binary community specifically are going through right now. And that's a genocide. There's no other way around it. Today, we're capturing the 10 steps to genocide brought to you by the Montreal Holocaust Museum. Number one, classification. Groups in a position of power will categorize people according to ethnicity, race, religion, or nationality, employing an us versus them mentality. Prevention. Creating universalistic institutions that foster social cohesion. I feel the first point needs to be addressed most of all. Being transgender may or may not have a genetic component, but the most common experience could be expressed as a discontinuity of belief about one's own gender in comparison with what others expect. The institutions in to, 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 the institutions to universalize in this case are gender norms. The categories are here not as in immaterial to an argument of transgenocide through as the bills in question themselves, while it wouldn't be possible to try to eradicate a genetic expression or a component of human experience, the tactics engaged are intended to treat the transgender person as such a contagion or social degeneracy, quote. Two, civilization. People are identified as, quote, Jews, Roma, Tutsis, etc., and made to stand out from others with certain colors or symbolic articles of clothing. Prevention. Ban the symbols and the hate speech and all clothing meant to discriminate against groups. Transgender people self-identify and rally together with their own colors. But a consequence of bigotry against us is that everyone's gender must come under scrutiny to satisfy the restrictive gender rules that conservatives want to enforce. To enforce these rules previously, people were subjected to harassment and inspection and jailed if wearing three or more pieces of clothing deemed to be for a sex other than the one assigned at birth. Allowing people to wear what they choose regardless of gender helps to remove this prejudice. Three, discrimination. A dominant group uses laws, customs, and political power to deny the rights of other groups. The powerless groups may not be granted full civil rights or even citizenship. Prevention. Ensure full political empowerment and citizenship rights for all groups in a society. Discrimination on the basis of nationality, ethnicity, race, or religion should be outlawed. Restricting speech about transgender issues or informing youth is being criminalized in multiple states. Customs commonly exclude intersex or non-binary people. Surgeries allowed to uh, surgeries allowed to people for reasons other than being transgender are being denied. We seek equal treatment for all under the law in a fair healthcare system that addresses addresses gender inequalities and indeterminacies. Number four. Dehumanization. The diminished values of the discriminated group is communicated through propaganda. Parallels are drawn with animals, insects, or diseases. Prevention. 
promptly denounce and punish perpetrators and make hate crimes and speech culturally unacceptable. Sanction all incitements to commit genocide. We take this opportunity to acknowledge the many, many, many voices that remain platformed and funded calling transgender people, quote, demons, inhuman, subhuman, mutants, etc. End quote. I'm not here for them. I'm here fucking mutants. I'm here for the people who want to evolve society into something even more human and beautiful. Five, organization. A state, its army, or militia design genocidal killing plans. Prevention. Outlaw membership in these militias and sanction these leaders. Impose armed embargoes or the countries involved and create commissions of inquiry. We have discussed the many ways in which the police function as a standing military of the United States. In Missouri, a proposed bill has been aimed to deny gender-affirming care to transgender prisoners, some who have already undergone surgery and don't have the ability to produce sex hormones. Multiple groups have committed to doing harm to transgender people, some through online harassment and some through destruction of property, others through armed conflict. Disarming fringe groups in the U.S. is polarization. Propaganda is employed to amplify the differences between groups. Interactions between groups are prohibited and the moderate members of the group in power are killed. Prevention. Protect these moderate members and human rights groups. Seize the assets of the oppressors and refuse their access to international travel. Travel. The context in which this fits, the description of genocide, is different from other contexts in that, until very recently, transgender people were expected to live entirely in the shadows. American history has no def deficit of blood, and many of the matriarchs of the left held our autonomy and their values. Number seven, preparation. The victims are identified, separated, and forced to wear symbols. Deportation isolations and forced starvation. Death lists are drawn up. Humanize, human, 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 sorry, humanitarian aid, armed international interventions, or major support for the victims to ensure their ability to defend themselves. This has historically, this has been historically accomplished with prisons or gay conversion camps. Recent bills proposed to make insurance companies indefinitely liable for detransition. In bills in those some states, indicate a likelihood to require state-sponsored detransition if the legislature is in Bowdoin. Number eight, persecution. Victims are identified and isolated based on their ethnic or religious identity. Death lists are drawn up. In state-sponsored genocides, members of victim groups may be forced to wear identifying symbols. Their, proper, their, probably, their property is often Expatriated. I'm not good with good words today. Prevention. Regional organizations in the international community most mobilize themselves to assist or help the victim. The Texas Department of Transportation was conducted by Gary, Governor Greg Abbott and released the names of gender changes on driver's license to identify transgender people in the state. In preparation, many transgender people have already filed the state fled the state, and other states have proposed sanctuary bills to render aid to those fleeing for their safety. Number nine, extermination. The massacres begin. The perpetrators see their actions as extermination. 
since they do not consider their victims to be entirely human. Prevention. Only large-scale armed interventions can stop genocide. The international community must support the operation by providing air transport, equipment, and financial aid. In a lot of ways, we are already here. We have seen massacres of the LGBTQI plus community, but by individuals rather than a state as of yet. This is the reason for the most common refrain among the left to arm ourselves. Over time, driven to dehumanize us, blame us for their problems, treat us as entirely other, the components to render a genocide are all in place. And number 10, denial. The perpetrators of genocide deny having committed their crimes. Victims are often blamed. Evidence is hidden and witnesses are intimidated. Prevention. An international tribunal or national court an international court must prosecute the criminals. Public education. The individuals who have committed violence against the LGBTQI community are deemed unhinged by the same lunatic voices that cheer the results, if not the actions. There are calls to ban drag to protect children because of the violence incited by far-right groups trying to close them down or shoot them up. At times, it seems disheartening that so many countries have an enlightened view on gender issues. There is no international tribune to call for. Almost all of us are struggling with a new wave of understanding. Using the words transgenocide is intentional and may seem provocative. The pieces that don't fit the words, however, fit the spirit of the steps discussed. If we can learn so much about how to thrive in times of persecution from history of genocide, the tendencies of authoritarianism, and the tactics of resistance from people who love, who have been targeted before. We use these words not to inspire fear, but boldness. We don't want to be silent during the days when these words burn in our souls. We want our history of being repressed and marginalized, suppressed and dehumanized, to be over. We want to live free and be our authentic selves. We want the children of the generations that come after us to be free, to be authentically themselves as well. The conservative fear of castration, impotence, infertility are all scare tactics. And I believe in a more human future. And it's one where we listen to people of all walks of life equally. I happen to be a member of a group that society is deciding on whether or not to silence, on whether or not children should even exist in the same space as me. Thank you. So I'm, I want to lighten the mood a little because, um, you know, like we said, it's our responsibility to educate ourselves too. I always tell my kids, you know, don't assume because you become the first three letters in that word when you do. And, <laughs> you know, work on the spelling words on top of life lesson there. Um, <laughs> but I, okay, living on a boat. First off, I my dream, like my retirement dream is to build my own schoolie and like drive around the country and stuff. That's <laughs> yes. like that, And having that freedom to go around and do that. I like, I know things that I would love to see 
love to go and visit places and stuff. People, food. God, I love food. That's why I got belly. Mm-hmm. But um, what's a place that you're looking forward to visiting and experiencing when you guys start traveling again? Hmm. Well, so many places. <laughs> I know, um, right? Yeah. Um, I really, um, someday, I really, I really like the UK and I've studied um, it um Oxford and I've, you know, taken trips to Scotland and, you know, next on my bucket list, I really want to go to Ireland, but that takes a long yes. time to get to on a boat. But, you know, someday, uh, you know, we might sail over there, <laughs> but, um, you know, the more immediate future, we definitely want to spend, you know, I think next year winter um, in Mexico, uh, not this coming winter, but the following winter um, in Mexico mm-hmm. uh, for the season. And so I'm definitely looking forward to that and all different kind of anchorages and, you know, places around and, you know, tacos and margaritas and all the things. <laughs> so warm weather oh so. yeah no that that's actually ireland is one of my like bucket list spots too i just can't help it what inspired what inspired you to like just up and go live on a sailboat i think that's like the coolest <laughs> thing i think that's so cool because i love the ocean like the ocean is my safe space it's, mm-hmm. i know that's funny but it's my safe space and i just i love it so living on a sailboat would just be a dream and you're living that dream <laughs> Well, that's a lot of work. Um, and I think um, when I met my partner, she was already living on a boat and, you know, has, has wanted uh, to really, uh, she planned on solo sailing um, kind of around, you know, wherever she took the fancy. Um, but then, you know, we met and then I just uh, moved on this boat full time uh, last year. So I'm kind of jumping in and learning how to sail and learning how to do, you know, the projects and everything. Um, and uh, it allows me to also, you know, work remotely and um, and, you know, travel around and bring your home with you. And especially in the Bay Area, it's so expensive for rent, you know, and living somewhere. And you don't have to be attached to like that one physical place um, that, you know, I'm I'm up for. Being, and I love traveling. So I get to, you know, travel with my house and my person and not have to pay the ridiculous rent prices. And that's at least pretty cool and be pretty self, self-sufficient. <laughs> sounds like one of the best part Ooh. about uh, living on a boat is not having a landlord. <laughs> So when right. I so when yeah. I hear living on a boat, like so, do you? So I guess do you do you have an anchor that you just drop off in the middle of the ocean and just relax for a few days and then just go on to wherever you want to go uh, throughout the world, or is there like a, a a real schedule that you that you build to to get to these places? Um, well, right now we've been working on this boat, so we haven't taken it out much because we've been doing all the projects. But um, we're getting really close to so the summer. We're planning on spending the summer in the Sacramento Delta which has lots of different marinas and anchorages. Um, so you can, you know, a lot of places where we can anchor, um, you know, going farther, you know, after we leave California. So that is our plan is there are marinas you can get. Right now we're at a dock, but then you can go, you know, certain places you go, you can't just anchor anywhere because, you know, because there are so many derelict boats and abandoned boats and, um, so basically, so the um, the answer is yes. We're we're working on anchoring out, and you just drop the anchor, and you know, yeah, like chill out. Or at least you know, so where where you're allowed to, you can't just go anywhere. But <laughs> for the places that you can, that's what we're gonna do. See, it just shows no matter where you go, you got bad neighbors. Yeah, if you don't like them, you move. Basically, the weather runs the schedule. For the most part, it's the weather. You know, the weather runs the show. So that's the the biggest thing is not being tied down as much as you can by like a schedule. Is just the weather predicts where you go.
So um, where did you study um, for like dance and higher ed and, and the degrees? If you have, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know. Do you, what is your degree in or what did you study? I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, yes, I have a Bachelor of Arts in, in theater. Um, I went to Adrian, which is like a tiny school that, yeah, a uh, tiny private liberal arts school. Um, yeah, so that's my uh, my formal, um, when I dance, I dance, I dance and I work as an accessibility consultant and audio description consultant for a company called Jess Curtis Gravity, which is based in San Francisco and in Berlin. And um, so I do a lot of hats. I'm also on the board of directors there, a secretary. Um, so I do a lot of different things, but that's where a lot of my dance kind of comes from. And it initially stemmed from like contact improv based and then sort of branched out to where it is now that I've kind of previously uh, discussed, but isn't, isn't formal, you know, degree training, but that's like my main um, background. And I also took classes from uh, Krishna Washburn, who teaches called Darkroom Ballet, which is ballet uh, for blind people specifically. And I've done some workshops. Um, Axis Dance in California, which is an integrated company that has dancers with and without disabilities. Um, many of them are wheelchair users. They, they come from a different aesthetic, but it's still. And I did a dan um, acting class with it's called Access Acting Academy, um, and it's a training all for blind and low vision actors, uh, led by Marilee Talkington, who is a, um, a low vision uh, actor. And um, that was really great to have like an inclusive space of like all blind people getting together and like performing on stage uh, so I think that really stands out as you know it inclusive uh you know opportunity so like do you produce and like help create and write the plays and like help with the choreography um so with the company I'm with now with uh Jess Curtis Gravity which is the company I dance with um yeah I'm collaborating so we're creating a new piece right now so I'm one of the performers in it and there's you know five other performers and we all kind of input our ideas the choreographer inputs his ideas on the concept and like right now we're talking a lot about like destabilizing vision as the central mode of observing dance so it talks a lot about light and dark and what that means to us and all of that so I am we are creating the pieces now so that's primarily what I do is I actually am a performer and you know we we are creating them from the ground up so like I'm not performing in things that have already you know established or exist I think you said destabilizing vision in media. I, I, I've never heard it put that way. And I think that's, I again, that's my limitation. And that's something that I and others should consider. Like, what are some of those, um, like, limitations in, in dance? You, you said lighting and, and things like that. Could you elaborate on that a little bit, if you don't mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's primarily so visual that it doesn't really come across even... Um, so we do a lot of audio description with the company that I work with and audio description for dance, but many blind people have never had access to dance. And so how do you describe that movement and is it interesting or not? Um, how do you describe it when you don't have any visual, you know, any reference of it physically or, or visually? So figuring out, making it accessible with, you know, sound, with audio description, with, you know, feeling the move, some movements maybe before the show, it's called a haptic access tour um, that we also organize. Um, so, you know, um, trying to figure out all those different ways and using different senses and feelings to make it, um, you know, as inclusive as we can and not just let's all sit down and watch a show and it's totally silent and you're not getting any feedback or anything about what's going on. I, I think that's, that's something that, you know, we were talking earlier, uh, you said that, 
it's it's so great that technology is is making it to where uh, people with disabilities will feel more part of the normal. And it's like, well, and, and you really brought up the good point that like, it's not, it's, 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 it's people that aren't uh, disabled that are putting up the barriers in place. And so instead of making it society where you're trying to quote, cure the disability, I think, again, like you said, make our society inclusive and accessible to all. And that means re- figuring how we present ourselves in every aspect how do we educate how do we how do we present media because i was thinking is it is it appropriate to have it to where schools where it's you know just schools for people with disabilities or is it is it is that a barrier that is that is that we are putting in and that we're not learning how to have an education system that is that is inclusive to to everyone so Yes, that's very tricky, I think. That's definitely a complicated, <laughs> you know, complicated subject for sure. But something is definitely worth, um, you know, examining and, and really getting into. Absolutely. Yeah, in higher ed, um, I know that we've, I mean, everybody's always trying to include more and more, you know, of the different populations that we deal with. And one of the things was, um, how do we, you know, supply books and how do we get people to do that? And then audiobooks came, you know, we started really gaining more and more popularity. And I'm like, well, that that helps. Do you think like what can we do? And and I'm asking your your professional opinion, because you definitely, you know, with your organizations and everything, I feel like you are definitely a person that could help me help my career field um, to be more inclusive. So what can we do better um, as far as opening up the classroom doors, uh, especially with I'm in graduate school. So getting a master's and a doctorate, I feel like we don't we don't we're not as inclusive as we could be, at least where I am. And so mm -hmm. how can how can we do better? If, if you can give me your opinion, I'd very much appreciate it. Well, I think it's about, first of all, just having a, a bar, or, you know, some kind of higher bar that like disabled people can contribute. And then when they say there's a barrier to actually listen to that and even making just an approachable space of saying, if someone needs accommodations, if someone needs support, but then also having an you know understanding or training or a way of knowing, hey, what is accessible? Even the basics, like, or is there an access services department? You know, Are we required to provide media in an accessible format? Yes, you are knowing the laws, knowing, you know, how do you make a PDF accessible, knowing like, you don't need to know every single point of these things, but even having an outline or a general idea, of, these are some barriers that people with various disabilities might face. They need a space to discuss that. I need a space to have resources to say, this is what I need. And there needs to be a team that can help figure out how to meet those, those needs instead of brushing them off or putting it all on the student or, you know, giving some volunteer, hey, you scan this book but then not knowing how to make that book accessible to the person. Just because it's a scanned document doesn't mean it's a readable document to a blind person. It has to be, um, you know, uh, coded correctly and, you know, scanned correctly to read with a screen reader. So it's not not as simple as just, okay, we scanned it. There you go. It has to really be follow up with, you know, is this working? Is this not working? And what do we need to do without making it all on the disabled students? Yeah. And as you've kind of That's shared, you're part of that demonstrative process or part of the uh, process to kind of test. So uh, what could we do uh, as part of your community 
uh, to make sure that we are helpful to people who need to be integrated better, uh, people with visual impairments, but also just other disabilities that we can be aware of. Uh, what would you like to see us change or make more accessible? I think just overall, I mean, it really comes down to just uh, welcoming people with disabilities even and having statements of saying, you know, disabled people are included. Like I had a virtual presentation where someone said, you know, if you have to, if you need to like eat during the presentation or stim or move around or clean or sleep or whatever it is, like that's okay. And, you know, making these statements of, hey, we recognize there are disabled people in our communities and we want to know how to help you. And we want to listen to the answer of what you need. Because so many people think we don't exist or we don't participate or they don't listen if we need help or they don't listen to how we need help. So it's really about making that space open and following up and listening to what people are saying. Because we're doing the talking, but people aren't doing the listening. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, where... Let, let me let me ask you because it's not you know so often when when people speak with with people with disabilities they they go off and they and they try to get an education lesson out of the individual and and I want to know where can we look in resources in in things that that will help us do better in our pursuit of mm -hmm. accessibility because it's not the jobs of of the people to explain that and to give an education lesson and to school people that, that do not deal with those disabilities. And so where can we go to find that information and learn ourselves so that it's mm -hmm. not, it's, it's not dominated in conversation because again, it's, it's about equity and ensuring that everyone's treated yeah. the same and that yes. they, and that their, that their rights are met. And so it's, it's not, it's not right that, that the people that, right. that deal with things are bombarded with, okay, well now, Oh, you're, like, tell me everything about it. How do I, so where can we go to learn ourselves? Um, there are a lot of resources, definitely. I mean, even social media has tons of different pages and groups and, you know, things moderated by disabled people, disabled queer people, um, you know, even just doing a book search. Um, Audible even has a lot of books. Um, there's a Disability Visibility Project. Um, there's also the Longmore Institute on Disability at San Francisco State. Uh, there are um, a lot of books written about, like, disabilities for allies, um, how to be an ally. There's a, I cannot remember the book title right now, but the author I believe is Emily Laddow. And she writes a really good like one-on-one book about being an ally to the disability community. And just, um, you know, so many books, uh, uh, Judy Human has a great uh, book as a disabled person. Um, if anyone has seen the film Crip Camp on Netflix, definitely that's worth checking out. Um, uh, it, it, information about the 504 movement. We're talking about education, the um, mm -hmm. IEPs, and there's plans called the 504 plan. That is um, from the 504 movement, which was the largest occupation of a federal building in U.S. history, which was in a month for a month in San Francisco in the 70s. A bunch of disabled people occupied the federal building to get legislation signed, and nobody knows about that plan. So definitely, the 504 movement is worth you know checking out. And like inter intersectionality and, you know, they, they communicated out the windows with sign language interpreters. They had the Black Panthers brought them food. They had, you know, so many allies coming in from all over the place. But it was really the disabled people that got the job done. All right. That's a whole movie in itself. We need that. I mean, we had CODA last year, you know, promoting the mm -hmm. sign language and everything. That's the next movie right there. Um, we Should be. Okay. Somebody needs to get that out there. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't know anybody in Hollywood. So if anybody else does or anybody <laughs> listening does help us out, 
um, talk to Tiffany. I think pr- perfect producer right there. Um, trying to help you out, Tiffany. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a great uh, piece of access to theater and a great way to expand our experiences uh, of each other. Uh, we get to learn from uh, the people with disabilities what we can do to uh, provide a better experience for them. Uh, and, you know, uh, we learn from you and you can, you know, we, we can learn from each other so much. Uh, I, we've got a little bit of uh time limit here we're going to be trying to cut out at two o'clock so i just want to make sure we've covered all the points that you wanted to speak about is there anything else that's on your mind you'd like to speak about tiffany (laughs) i mean there are a lot of topics i could talk about but (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i think um well we were talking about uh resources earlier and i also want Mm -hmm. to um shout out another podcast um i did an episode for it hasn't aired yet but um it is a great uh it's called the uh, disability after dark um andrew gerza runs that is a, a queer disabled person and talks a lot more about disability um sexuality queer identity a lot of that is, is the main focus of their show um so i definitely you know, recommend that um and you know that's i think a, a great resource to uh to learn more about you know intersectionality as well and i know that's something that um you know i speak about as well and what uh you know how that impacts my uh, you know, my viewing of things and, and the world. And I've had people um, say to me, you know, regarding like the queer community saying, I didn't, I've had other queer people tell me, I didn't know there were like queer disabled people or, you know, because you're blind, I've had people say, oh, how do you know that you're queer or that you're gay or that you're, you know, whatever your identity is. Um, and it's it's those type of, of things that just perpetuate those stigma that like disabled people cannot be queer cannot be, you know, wanting romantic relationships, physical relationships, you know, partners, hobbies, work, anything that anybody else wants. Um, and so I think these are big issues that, you know, need much more discussion and things to, you know, highlight and talk about and, and, and draw attention to. And I think that I've felt much more supported in, you know, disabled spaces as a queer person than I have in queer spaces as a disabled person. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how do those things meet and maybe mesh together? Uh, yeah. You know, I think makes a big uh Difference. Another organization that I am in is called uh, Blind LGBT Blind LGBT Pride International, and it's an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And we have also a lot of great, you know, resources too on that. And um, people don't have to be blind to join, but of course, that's you know, um, the majority of the members are um, you know blind or low vision and LGBT in some in some way. And we are really the only um, it's an international organization, and we are really like the primary organization in that um, arena. And definitely, you know. Uh, appreciate and welcome allies um, in that community as well to be to be you know to be part to learn more to you know want to help and we have a podcast called um, pride connection that is uh, run in that uh, in that group oh my god we love podcasts <laughs> absolutely <laughs> excellent thank you for providing there, resources for you are there any questions that you wish i that you wish we had asked that we didn't touch on no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, I've got three big questions just kind of go to go through here just to sort of establish like kind of our scope we call our big three questions. But um, basically, uh, what do you want to see changed in the world? What can we make effective? Uh, you know, what, what would you like to see effective within your lifetime if you could achieve those goals? <laughs> well, definitely. I think one of the big things too, in uh, especially in the U.S., um, but is, uh, you know, the healthcare situation and so many disabled people also don't have marriage equality. 
So we talk about, you know, equal marriage and like, oh, everyone's like, oh, you can get married. I'm like, that's nice. But I'm also disabled. And, you know, a lot of people rely on um, uh, Medicaid or in-home support services and all these things that they would lose if they got um, if they get married Um, or these services are only provided if you get, you know, Social Security or supplemental security income, all these um, really kind of ableist and problematic ways that are meant to keep a lot of people in poverty or out of access to different things so that's something i'd love to see more discussed is um you know well the medical system but also just like marriage equality for disabled people does not exist yeah so actual Mm -hmm. equity like actually having fair treatment of people in that how far would you go to see that that change and affect it in in society well i mean i've i have done different you know protests before and rallies and events and you know advocacy to you know where i can and you know, trying to do the best that I can to support not just my community, but other communities as well. And there are, you know, very, a lot of multiply marginalized people in, 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 you know, many of these communities intersectionally. And so I try to, you know, do the best I can to support, um, you know, to support anybody saying, you know, this is a problem that we need, definitely need um, to work on it and bring more attention to it because a lot of people don't even know about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I see your efforts in your life, and I applaud your your efforts to make uh, a more accepting community and open space for everyone. Uh, are you willing to work uh, for a goal that you might not see attained in your lifetime? Uh, yes. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of these goals I'm, I'm working toward, you know, and, and just especially right now politically with all the, you know, everything surrounding LGBT issues, trans issues, all that going on. I mean, working with a lot of those, but then everything is so complex and, you know, so many different states have different rules. And then in the country, everything changes. And then, you know, how does that play out in other countries? Or, you know, where can I go? There's certain places I'm not going to go as a disabled person, even on my boat, or, you know, as a queer person or with my partner who's trans, like we can't go certain places. But does that mean I'm not going to work for people in those places? No, because a lot of the people in those places are still in these communities and they need the most help because these people are kind of oppressed and held down by the societies you live in. So I'm, you know, definitely willing to support other people, even if they're not me or my community, um, because they don't have this kind of support. Um, even if I can't necessarily like, go there, it's not the, the citizen's fault. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, in, Tiffany, a large, in a large part. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Tiffany Taylor, it's been oh, a pleasure. Whoa, 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 uh, 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 oh, wait, come on. Look, we know how it no, goes. We, we wrap up like questions. five times. <laughs> no. I know we've got more questions, but no. I wanted to get that one in. Okay, fine. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, you're I'm sorry. Go ahead. You can do that. Well, we'll do it a few more times. We like to do, I do like 10 outros and then I go through and pick the best one. It's true. She does. <laughs> really do cut me in the middle well tiffany taylor it's been a pleasure speaking with you today about uh disability uh, and your experience in the theater as well as as sailing around the world just uh, excellent to uh, kind of see somebody that's uh, so free out and about and uh, any parting words you'd have for us today uh thank you for having me and i'm happy you know here to be able to share my little bit of the world and you know where i fit and what you know what we can do to to bring some more change we love to hear it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank okay, you. now wait. No, hold on. Don't go. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Mar, Mar has some questions. Mar has some questions. Okay. Honestly, it was just going to be something very lighthearted. Um, so, Tiffany, you being on a boat, I'm going to say this. <laughs> I feel sort of silly. Will you please, please make a video when you guys take off from Marina? with the Jack Sparrow Pirates of the Caribbean music on it. We would love to see you do that <laughs> and and experience the experience you're having because 
to me, like, I love the water too, but I don't really get out on it and sail or anything like that anymore. So could you please yes. provide us with that? Yes. I, I, I like, I enjoyed those movies. My partner is funny. She always falls asleep to them. So it's kind of a joke of like, you know, <laughs> but I, that would be definitely entertaining. And I sail with a, um, a group in the Bay area called the Bay area association of disabled sailors based in San Francisco. And we sail little dinghies and have special adapted boats. And we have a cool flag that has like a little uh, pirate on it and like, you know, disability. And I'm like totally up for it. <laughs> okay. Well, that will make my day just to see that. I'm, I'm, because yes. I, I always try to look for something very lighthearted because um, so heavy in the world sometimes. Yes. yes so definitely. <laughs> what, what I, I'm going to, here's my, here's my last question, Caroline. What is a guilty pleasure you have to bring that lightheartedness into your world? Huh. Well, no, <laughs> I really like, I mean, again, my main thing, you know, is, is musical theater. So I like singing and performing as well. And uh, yeah, I'm a big Julie Andrews fan. I know like all the Julie Andrews things. So anybody ever wants like a quiz, quiz about that, I will be, I will be there. I usually just bore people with my facts of musical theater. <laughs> I bore people with other facts, so it's fine. And honestly, one of my favorite, my guilty pleasure show from the theater, and I've seen it live, and I know the movies, is um, Mamma Mia. Mm. <laughs> just get get me going on ABBA, and I'll I'll just I'll, I'll be grooving. I'm 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 dancing right now on the screen a little, Tiffany. We're very white person type. Um, <laughs> yep. So. That's that's a very big guilty pleasure. So I'm glad to know that I now have someone with a lot of Julie Andrews, you know, yes. knowledge up there. So I'll hit you up before I All do right. trivia next time. All right. Tiffany, I um what's been your fondest memory or proudest achievement in your life? <laughs> wow, that sounds like <laughs> hmm. Um well, I th one of the things that really sticks out to me is I, uh, the, with the uh, dance company that I'm performing with now, uh, Just Curtis Gravity, we're based also in Berlin. And so I was able, I'm going actually back there for the show we're working on currently in um, October. And I was also there um, in 20, I don't know, seven, no, 2019 um, to perform a, a, a new piece that we had created. And so that was really you know, a big moment to be able to, you know, work professionally and travel and, you know, get kind of an inclusive, um, you know, inclusive cast, inclusive company, um, you know, accessibility costs included in that and be able to travel. My partner also came for part of the time. So that really kind of stuck out as like, I don't even necessarily have formal training, but I'm able to, you know, have this, this space to really do the things that make me, you know, happy and hopefully challenge some perceptions. You would say that art is a very big part of your life. What does art and that, that expression mean to you? I think art has a way of just being very healing and healthy, but also fun and fulfilling and enjoyable. It can also educate and help, you know, other people see things in themselves and also, you know, challenge their views or even just present different ways in, of thinking and in so many different modes and, and mediums in a way that, you know, nothing else can. What would you like to? Uh, what would you like to see yourself in five to ten years? <laughs> That's always the question. I know, um, right? I, I, <laughs> I, I <laughs> it's okay. I know it's like it's a job interview. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we were on the boat, so in some, you know, some warm um destination. Uh I yeah, I don't know, some some islands, you know, um maybe San Blas Islands or somewhere, you know, somewhere with some 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 tacos and a beach. So I think I think I I I I missed the last part of this. So where do you what would you like to see? in the world in the next five to ten years mm, i think you know more inclusion more acceptance more support of each other i think we're really going down the wrong roads to inclusion or learning from history so really just yeah i think you know more supporting each other as a whole you know better systems better infrastructure tiffany i feel that i i, I phrased that question wrong and I'm sorry if in this interview I lacked in um, my awareness to be to to be respectful. And if I've said anything that is off-putting, I I'm so sorry. Not at but, all. No, not at all. <laughs> I know because I said what well, you know. It's in some my my guess. My next question is, you know, with everything that we've talked about, our listeners are hearing all of this. What can we do going forward together? to create a more accessible and inclusive world and to ensure that that all of us have our rights met. I think advocating, but also finding other people to hold you up when you need support doing the work and we, we can't do the work alone. We need to make make um, framing community as a positive space and not a negative of you're in this community, but that community is actually, you know, mutual aid is what actually gets the job done. Well, I'm really glad we had the we had this 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 day to spend with you and Tiffany. You're always welcome to come back on the show with us. It was such a pleasure, well, it really was. Yeah, feel free. Thanks for everybody to you know follow me or find me or or message me or whatever <laughs> you know yeah. you like. I'm happy to chat and answer things or just you know chat about anything anything that we've talked about or not. Yes. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, thank I want to thank all of y'all. Hang on, I know you, Bethany. All yes, three okay. of you. Thank you so much for popping my podcast bubble. My little, my my. See, I almost said something else. But I like, I'm gonna make it. Lucy would have made it that. I know. It's your cherry. Right? We popped your cherry. Yeah, I know. It's been okay. so long since that's been popped too. So I appreciate it, y'all. <laughs> this is my first time, but I know it's not gonna be my last, and I appreciate it. And uh, it's it's been wonderful. Hey everyone, if you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on February 25th, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was co-hosted by Athena Pramakis, Caroline Penny, and Lucy Balzano, with guest co-host Mar New. Today's guest was Tiffany Taylor. Caroline Penny captured the narrative. This episode was edited and produced by Caroline Penny. Research provided by Athena Permakis. Music provided by Infraction, music titled Good Five. Capturing narrative segment, music, and the music you hear now are produced by Athena Permakis. This episode of the Trains Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to upload a podcast. Thanks for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us on all major platforms, such as Apple, Google, Amazon Music, YouTube, and Facebook. Subscription for exclusive content available. 
be sure to go, be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. New episodes stream weekly, Saturday, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like to reach out to learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.